that it's every bit as important to properly market your company, your people, what you stand for. It's every bit as important to market that as it is to market your products. We have a group called the SC Perennials, those of us who have attended every single conference. In terms of business growth, there should be a communications plan that rides along and helps to push it in that direction. The challenge of recruiting is one, the challenge of retention is another. From Orion X in association with Inside HPC, this is the At HPC podcast. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Black as they discuss supercomputing technologies and the applications, markets, and policies that shape them. Thank you for being with us. Shaheen, great to be with you again. Great to be here, Doug. How are you? Very well. And we have a special guest with us, Mike Bernhardt, seasoned HPC marketing veteran. Mike, welcome. Hey, guys. Thank you. I'm a big fan of your podcast, so I'm happy to be here. Well, thanks so much. And um, Mike, you've been in the HPC sector for, I think, 30 plus years. Could you kind of give us a brief summary of your career and what you've been doing lately and what you're doing now? Sure, Doug. Yeah, thanks. The HPC community has been my home for 35 years. I attended the first SC conference, Supercomputing 88, back in Orlando. And I've been to every SC conference since. This year will be my 35th appearance, if you can believe that. I mean, we we refer to SC22 as the 34th anniversary, based on anniversary years. But yeah, 35 years in a row. Wow. We have a group called the SC Perennials, those of us who have attended every single conference since 88. And I believe I'm the only one who's been dedicated to HPC marketing and communications. Most of my perennial colleagues have much deeper, much more impressive technical backgrounds than I do. And uh, you may remember, I also served as the communications chair for the SC09 conference. That was one of the years it was held in Portland, Oregon. Now, beyond SC, I have a rather broad range of experience. I've worked directly or as a consultant with HPC vendors, hardware and software suppliers, and, and most recently, .gov organizations. You know, in the early 90s, I handled strategic communications for the launch of Intel's supercomputer systems division. And then in late 94, I started the Bernhardt Agency, which was a strategic market relations and communications agency working with global companies. And I think for probably more than two decades, we were one of the most recognized marketing firms in HPC. And for the past six years, I've been with Oak Ridge National Laboratory handling strategic communications and outreach for the Exascale Computing Project. Okay, that's awesome. So you've been right in the belly of the beast with the ECP, certainly, for the last six years. So it's interesting, as you say, the perennials, you're the only person with a marketing background. I know our podcast this is the first time we've really talked about marketing. <laughs> we were always talking about the technology. So, but um, it's kind of interesting to step back and look at the changing and maybe broadening purview of HPC marketing, how it's evolving and taking on a wider array of challenges that HPC organizations are facing. What do you guys think of the premise of my point? Well, absolutely. The HPC landscape, as Shaheen well knows, I mean, he's the real veteran here. It's it's changed over the years, but it really hasn't changed, if that makes any sense at all. The challenges that companies face in terms of marketing in HPC has, I believe, gotten consistently more difficult. HPC folks, the end users, the, the folks that purchase acquire systems and software and so forth, are natural skeptics. For many, many years, you know, we, we've faced this challenge of 
how many times, Shaheen, Shaheen, let me ask you, how many times over the years, over decades, have you heard a company step forward and say, oh, we're the market leader or we're the premier supplier <laughs> of, but yet they don't give any attribution as to, you know, the data that backs up those claims. Yeah, I think along those lines, uh, my view is that the HPC community has grown. It has grown within the HPC community. The HPC community itself is, is, is larger than it was a few decades ago. But also the relevance of HPC to general IT has grown as well. Initially with more, I mean, if you look at the history of business computing, it started out with transaction processing. It became decision support and data warehousing. The amount of data started growing for them. And as I like to say, if your spreadsheet has 200 rows, that's a spreadsheet. If it's got 2 billion rows, that's HPC. <laughs> now they've got so much data that no one person can handle it. They got so much data that they need mathematical algorithms to make sense of it. And I think the advent of AI is further evidence of that. So I think business computing has been on a trajectory that was sooner or later going to look and feel like HPC. And HPC codes grow faster in terms of complexity, in terms of the amount of CPU time and data and elapsed time that they need. So once you touch them, they are liable to take over because they grow faster than transaction processing does. So that's one part of it. And as that community has grown, the technologies have shifted, the buyers have shifted, the demographics have shifted, the community has shifted. And reacting to that is now an imperative. And some companies and organizations do a better job of it than others. That's a really great point. You know, I think that it's one of those communities or industry segments, if you will, that's challenged by semantics. And you look at, you know, HPC and the convergence of HPC and AI. Well, has HPC enabled AI or is AI going to have an impact on HPC? Are they coexistent in many ways? And depending on how people choose to market that, they may be spot on and they may miss the mark completely. My observation is that traditionally people marketed the company to investors and they marketed their products to customers. And those are two different audiences yes. interested in different things. You know, investors want a return on their investment. They like to know that the company is highly profitable. <laughs> customers want a really good deal and they really want capabilities that meet their needs. They're probably not so overjoyed to hear that it is highly profitable. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, they don't mind profitable, but no. So I think what has happened in recent past, I would say literally in the past three to five years, is the emergence of what I call a third category of marketing. And that's what I call recruitment marketing or employee marketing, uh -huh. where you now have a different audience. And that's those who you want to recruit and those who already are your employees. And that's also a net new thing in marketing, in my view. Right. The um, well, as uh, I was at Oak Ridge last month at the Hyperion conference, and that came up as a major topic: hiring of HPC AI skilled, technically skilled people, but also the issue at the labs of training them up to become data scientists and handle HPC and AI, and then they leave. When the training period's over, they're gone. They're going to big tech companies that are paying them a lot more money. You know, what do you do about that from a marketing perspective to the, to the extent that marketing can help address 
that challenge. And Mike, maybe you have some thoughts on in that area. Well, you've got recruitment issues and you've got retention issues. And there's no doubt that many of the organizations in HPC have been impacted in terms of the, the pandemic and people having a chance to reevaluate their positions in life and what they do want to do and, you know, what they want for career choices and so forth, flexible work environments and so forth. You know, but putting that aside, I keep going back to this idea of how companies position themselves and what kind of an image they have and a reputation. Nobody wants to go out and work for a company that's got a bad reputation, treats employees badly, doesn't offer the same kind of packages and so forth. So the challenge of recruiting is one, the challenge of retention is another. With the labs, whether they're governmental agency labs, whether they're healthcare research institutions with pharmaceutical firms attached and so forth, they offer something that maybe is a little bit unique over most of the manufacturers in HPC. And that is the chance to maybe step up and do something that's bigger than yourself, chance to work in an environment where you can really take pride in the fact that you're doing something that could possibly change the way we live change the quality of life, really have an impact. But that being said, the competitive nature of marketing today, the high-tech firms are stealing employees from each other. The labs have to compete with you know, those organizations and they have to find compensation packages, full packages, right? You, you take a factor into, oh, the cost of living in certain areas and the benefit packages and things like that and flexible work environments. But if you can get those somewhat close to each other in the same ballpark, then maybe there's a chance that the the factor that will push some candidates over the edge would be how they view that company. And is it a company that they're proud to tell their family and their friends that they're going to work for? Is it a company that has a good reputation for taking care of you know, their, their responsibilities in their communities and so forth? Yeah, I think we want to come back and really talk about all of those aspects of marketing. But since we are on recruitment, I think uh, as, as Mike, you nailed it, it is compensation, its mission, and its culture. Yep. And maybe not in the same order for everybody, but those to me are the th- big three vectors. And for compensation, it's a total compensation. It is salary, benefits, equity, bonus. The private companies have an easier time granting stock options. Government agencies can't do that. <laughs> That's not <laughs> part of it. So how can they make up for that? Or maybe there are other ways that they can provide that sort of flexibility. Maybe it's, like you said, the training and the entrepreneurship. Mission, it needs to be inspiring. It needs to be important. It can be a national scale. It can be human scale. Now, being an HPC is already pretty inspiring because almost everything you touch is human scale sort of a problem. And then you've got culture, and that's a really big deal too. It's the management practices. It's the work environment. It's the perspective of the organization on social and other issues that are important to employees. And then it's the flexible work environment. All of those really add up. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and Shaheen, it's not just about the, the employee. In most cases, you're dealing with families. And those families have to see you know, the enticement. It could come down to include school systems, geographic area, and what that geographic area offers for a family for entertainment sports and so forth. That's a really important point too. You're right. Yeah. And well, of course, that also favors uh, hiring really young people who don't have a family yet. (laughs) 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 And maybe they will build one at your location. And then Mm -hmm. that's just more, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a really good point. 
Although it's funny, when at Oak Ridge, I got talking with folks at lunch, lab employees, they're going on about the outstanding school system, Oak Ridge High School, with many advanced placement coursework in the high school, getting these kids ready for elite schools. And that's where the labs can have a huge impact on the local community, the educational infrastructure and so forth. It was pretty, it was kind of interesting, but a big point here, Mike and Shaheen is that HPC marketing has really moved beyond where it was say 30 years ago, very speeds, feeds oriented. I would venture to say, disagree with me and really taken on just a wider and wider array of challenges for organizations. You know, a lot of the folks that I've talked to over the last several years that have changed jobs, changed organizations. It's not that they started out saying, I need to go get more money. Good people in HPC are typically, I think this is my experience anyway, I believe this is true, are typically fairly well compensated. If you're really good, you're at the top of your game, you get paid well, you have good compensation packages. But why did they then choose to leave one organization to go to another? In some cases that I know of, it's been tired of the area and want to try something new. But in other cases, it's been I really like what that company's doing. I want to go work for them. Just flat out interested in a company and they want to go work in that environment. I do want to add that while compensation is not the make or break in general, it also depends on just how much of a delta we're talking about. I think if somebody's paying you twice (laughs) what you're making, (laughs) okay, that becomes a little bit harder to say no to. And especially if the company also has some reputation and it doesn't look like a bad place to work and you may actually like get more of this and more of that and i think that's the reality of hbc today especially with folks looking to hire more ai oriented people ai has a very common overlap with hbc in terms of the algorithms and the skill set and the infrastructure and even when you plot them over time in the future it's going to be even more so So suddenly these big companies can go get HPC-oriented people and pay them like giant companies can do. And that's just really hard to compete with. To compete with that, you do need to address the compensation issue. It cannot just be culture and mission. No, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. Hey, not to bring politics into it, but uh, do you think that there's anything going on in terms of candidates making decisions about a candidate who leans blue not wanting to go to a red state or a candidate who leans red not wanting to go to a blue state, does that even play in in decision-making today about where to go for your next career move? Well, what I have observed is employees are being a lot more active and assertive in how they view the company. We've seen whistleblowers that have shown up. We had that case with Facebook that became global news. We had a case at Apple that became global news. Now, in the old days, you would not really see that. You would see it as employees saying that if I do this, I may get fired. And we are increasingly seeing employees not really care so much, either because they've been working at those companies enough to have enough of a nest egg to not worry about it, or because it's just sort of the new, the new model among the millennials and Gen Zs and you know the younger folks. So I do see a move by employees to want to renegotiate the balance of power between the company and the employees. And they're gonna say, I want this because that is my value system. Now that I think extends to social and political parameters as well. Those considerations also are not nothing. And while I don't really see anything that shows like it's a major trend, I also have to assume that it plays a role. 
Yeah, that's one thing I've observed in my career, especially in HBC and AI and big tech, is it's not only that they might have a nest egg so they're financially secure, or not just that it's a matter of personal values. It's also that they know they can walk across the street and get another job <laughs> right <laughs> away. They're, they're in such demand. And I think in that sense, social issues are taking on are a larger and larger factor with employee retention and hiring. And that's just more part of the mix that needs to be addressed in the communications and the corporate positioning. I think that's a very good point. Yeah. Let's go back to like the 70s, early 80s. Anybody that was worth their salt in advanced computing or high end or emerging technologies, let's say, they were changing jobs every two to three years. They were getting recruited. They were getting you know, incredible offers from companies, stock options and so forth. And nobody got really faulted for not being loyal <laughs> to the employers. <laughs> Well, that's a really good point. That has shifted over the past many decades now, is that yeah. we've seen history being you go work for a company out of school and you retire with a watch and you're done. And then if you shifted jobs too much, it was like not a good reputation. Yeah. And then it was okay to change twice. And then it was okay to change three times. And then it was okay <laughs> to change every three years and it was no problem. Mm. So I think, you know, the implicit contract between the employer and employee shifted as employers started laying people off and getting laid off was a stigma in the beginning. And then it really wasn't. It was like everybody understood what was going on. And that is a big factor is that that was a signal to employees that they have to manage their own career, that the company isn't doing it for them. Yeah. It was a breakdown in loyalty on both sides. Well, right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so now loyalty really has to come through mission, through culture, through the nature of the technology. And when you have it, it certainly can improve productivity and the high performance capabilities of the team, not just the products. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. And one of the things that I have noticed in the lab, the laboratory infrastructure throughout the country is there is much more employee loyalty. There's that sense of doing something bigger than yourself and employees seem to stay around. Now, looking at more traditional HBC marketing challenges, you know, more on the product and the tech side, do you guys have thoughts from an overall perspective and maybe with some anecdotes to back it up, flaws and strengths that you're seeing in HPC marketing? For example, I know, Mike, you've talked about being too speed feed oriented and also maybe too short term focused. I mean, mm -hmm. that leaves out a big part of the equation. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's a place and a time to brag about your speeds and your feeds, you know, to use that that terminology. But it's not for everybody and it's not to be used as your main cover item, I think. I've always told clients over the years with my agency that, for example, price performance is not sustainable as your leading market position. Somebody could come along any day of the week and knock you out of that price performance leadership position. Hmm. It's nice to add it to a list of other things that you can do or that your products can deliver, but it's not the end all. And the, the speeds and feeds, yeah, you need them uh, depending on what market segment you're in, but you need to market those to the people who care about the speeds and feeds. You're right on. At the end, it depends on who your audience is and who it is you're trying to sell to and what they value, what their metrics are. But in the parlance of marketing, you've got features, you've got benefits, and those benefits address pain points. And those pain points are managed through a buying behavior. So those are the four stages. And if you focus a lot on features, then it better be the case that that's all your buyer is caring about. And as the 
audience has grown for HPC, and as the nature of the buyers have shifted, you know, you have to figure out what metrics are important for who you're talking to. There are those who are definitely interested in speeds and feeds. That's what they want to know. As Mike mentioned, there are those who are interested in that, but not immediately. <laughs> like, let's yeah. get there mm. before we get there. <laughs> but you would do well in general to focus on pain points. And if those pain points are, in fact, speeds and feeds, then you're golden. But if they're not, then you're delaying your own sales cycle. Yeah, and, and you know, Shaheen, where I think I've seen it break down a few times is when an organization, an HPC, brings in a marketing team, communications team, that comes out of some consumer marketing environment and doesn't understand what the HPC market segment, the HPC community is all about. Yes, that's a really big deal. When you do the consumer market, as a person, you are a potential customer of that product, mm-hmm. right? If you're, if you're marketing peanut butters, now there's a lot of complexity in marketing peanut butters, but at least you are a potential customer. <laughs> you might, in fact, be buying <laughs> But if you're talking about multi-million dollar systems, chances are you individually are not a potential customer. So that's one thing. The second thing is that understanding the complexity of that product requires time, expertise, combination of the two. And those who've been at it for a long time, they know the ins and outs and they really understand the nuances. Those who haven't had better have the right background to catch up quickly. And when that's not the case, it shows. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and companies, I think, you know, driven by the senior folks, some of them not technologists, of course, want the marketing teams to communicate that we can do everything and we can do it better than anybody. And sometimes, you know, you're loading up your plate and saying, oh, you want that? Yeah, we do that. Well, yeah, we do AI. Yeah, we do quantum. Yeah, we do H. Oh, yeah, we can do data analytics. Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. And they're shooting themselves in the foot by coming across with storylines that just simply aren't credible. Yeah. In some cases, again, it's going back to a point you made earlier, they're communicating the wrong message to the, their particular audiences. That's right. Yeah. You know, when I re-entered full-time the HPC industry in 2015, it was right at this transition point from really an industry dominated on the processor end by the x86 to this big bang proliferation of architectures including especially NVIDIA and then AMD. And I thought the AMD story was so interesting because that was a company recovering from kind of a winter, corporate winter, if you will. And I remember sitting down with their marketing people at ISC in Frankfurt. And my thought bubble was, well, how do I know you guys aren't going to go dark again? So they really had that credibility challenge. And I think they... They certainly emphasized price performance leadership, but I also think they leveraged the Lisa Sue leadership and her personality and credentials and credibility very well. I, I don't know if you guys closely observed that whole evolution and how they regained their credibility footing in the industry. I did. And I think the story also shows how difficult it is to recover from mm. missteps because AMD was in fact suffering from previous missteps. And there was a time when people were saying that that company is not going to be safe, just one person. It's going to require a lot more. And Lisa Sue is a rock star because she did, it. she did it. And they have executed flawlessly and the team has assembled around her. And it's just such a such an impressive success story. It's really hard to do. I have, you know, I can't imagine all the challenges that they had to go through and she had to go through to bootstrap their way into this position of strength that they are now. But they are definitely, in some ways, an exception. Yeah. 
I mean, Mike, you've been around for decades. I would say that's one of the most remarkable turnaround stories in the history of the industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I probably could name a dozen friends who have left other companies to go to AMD in recent years. And I mean, they couldn't be happier. They feel proud when they say, you know, I'm over at AMD now. And, and that's that, that whole thing about, you know, using the corporate culture as a lead to kind of represent what your company is about. Innovation, not only thought leadership, but technology leadership. Yeah, tremendous. And then we have NVIDIA and they've kind of wrapped themselves to a great degree around Jensen, a company that is really in leadership position with GPUs and AI and how they got there. Very, very impressive. Again, to go up against the entrenched x86 architecture and take it on and, and really succeed. Very, very impressive. Yeah, that's another giant success story and just going on and on and on because uh, Jensen is just extremely good. Uh, now, a problem that these companies with a very visible, very publicly acknowledged superstar CEO, Steve Jobs at Apple, Jensen at NVIDIA, Larry Ellison at Oracle, Lisa Su at AMD. The big problem is really succession planning. Well, that's why companies hire people like Mike Bernhardt, right? To deal with that, I think. Right, Mike? Or Shaheen Khan. <laughs> no, no, I think that's actually a really big deal for all the human resources folks. And, and big companies like that typically have a whole process on succession planning, at least for the top three layers of the company. Now, if they don't have it, they better consider this a note to go get it done because you need it. That kind of relates to another issue I think is very interesting in HPC. Again, such a technically dense, challenging sector. What I've seen over the years with many companies, especially smaller startup-oriented companies, the CEO does everything, knows everything. He's the innovator. But there's a problem with delegation of responsibilities. Mike, I'd be interested in your thoughts and Shaheen. Everybody can do marketing, right? Everybody thinks they can do marketing. They all think they can write a press release and not all of them can. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I've seen more than my share of it. You know, a CEO that doesn't believe that uh, what you're telling them about the importance of marketing a certain way or articulating a message a certain way is right. And they want to hang their hat on what they believe is the important thing. And, and they stumble a lot. Good for you for calling it out, Doug, because you know it's it's absolutely true. Everybody thinks that they can do marketing; they can do it better than the marketing people do. There are some really excellent folks in marketing and communications. What I've experienced over the years—not to throw any shade on anybody that's ever been out there marketing or doing communications in HPC—but I've seen a fair share of people who really didn't know how to do strategic planning as far as communications goes. They become very reactive to what's the next product announcement? What's the next trade show that we have to work toward? Uh, let's get our announcements together for the SC conference, for ISC, for the SIAM show, whatever it might be. And there's no long-term strategic vision for communications. And it should be tied right down to the business office of wherever that company's going over the next three to five years in terms of business growth. There should be a communications plan that rides along and helps to push it in that direction. I don't know if you agree with that, Shaheen, but that's- I absolutely do. In fact, my advice to my CEO friends for at least the last 10 years, if not more, has been that you've got to take marketing as seriously as you take engineering. Just like you have an intuitive feel for what it takes to build a product. Hmm. You don't hire a summer intern and expect at the end of the summer, like SAP, right? Yeah, <laughs> You're yeah. not going to do that. 
<laughs> you understand that it takes an army of engineers to do an army level kind of a product. Likewise with marketing. Marketing is not just brochures and stuff anymore. It is a whole technology stack from an arts and science aspect of it is an extraordinarily difficult task. And one of the reasons that it is really difficult to find good marketing people is because it is really a hard job. And unfortunately, a lot of folks kind of do it not really knowing what it is that they really should do. And that leads to bad marketing. And that makes it even more difficult to do good marketing. Yeah. 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 So if you two had closing words of advice or wisdom, what advice would you give to HPC companies moving forward regarding their marketing campaigns? I'd say I have two points that I would give as advice to HPC companies that are taking a look at their marketing strategies for the next several years. Organizations need to remember that it's every bit as important to properly market your company, your people, what you stand for. It's every bit as important to market that as it is to market your products. Put them all on the same level playing field there because it has to be looked at in its entirety. And I would say the second point is I would encourage them from the CEO down, step back and take a good, honest look at how your customers and your prospects perceive your market position, even your competitors, how they perceive your market position, your strengths and your weaknesses. Do an honest assessment of that, you know, refer to it as a market perception audit. And I think a lot of these folks would be surprised at what comes back. Yeah, I think that's right on. What I would add, I kind of did give my big advice, which is take it seriously. But along those lines, marketing can make a difference. It can be a competitive advantage. Market presence is a really big impact on how customers decide to consider you or not. And it's not easy. It is hard. And it needs consistency. And it needs a trajectory that you follow. Kind of getting back to AMD a little bit, AMD had to reestablish themselves as a company you would want to be in a partnership with. And I think that's really what you guys are saying. It's sure it's product and technology, but are you a reliable, innovative, well-run company? And then how do you communicate that you are, you know? Well, I think the other piece of advice would be that the marketing job is to match your real strengths with real needs. There you go. It's not about fitting your strengths with those who don't need it. And it's not about pretending you have strengths that you don't have. That's its job. So it, if you've done right, it can make sure that it finds the customers that are really going to value your strengths and be loyal customers going forward. If you see it that way, I think you'll be successful. Yeah, well said. Great stuff. Okay, gentlemen. Mike Bernhardt, great to be with you. And Shaheen, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Mike. What a treat. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode of the At HPC podcast. Every episode is featured on InsideHPC.com and posted on OrionX.net. Use the comment section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics of discussion. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The At HPC podcast is a production of Orion X in association with Inside HPC. Thank you for listening.